Game Changers with me, Vicki Abelson, and my guests today are Ray Parker Jr. and filmmaker Fran Strine, who have, yay, I'm so glad you guys are here, who have the most amazing film out. Uh, we watched it a couple of nights ago, riveted to every moment. I loved it, loved it, loved it. Um, how did you guys, I know you did Hired Gun as well together. How did you guys meet? How did this relationship start? But you know, that's where we met. It's on hired gun. Yeah. So, you know, I was in the middle of doing hired gun and I was interviewing the likes of like Steve Lukather, David Foster, Jay Grade, and those guys. And I want to say it was David Foster asked me, Have you talked to Ray Parker Jr. yet? And I was like, The Ghostbusters guy. And immediately you could see the color of his face change. He's like, No, 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 no. He's not just the Ghostbuster guy. You got to go talk to him. The story is insane. So, you know, we reached out to Ray and he uh, obliged and we went down and I got some of the story, but not all of it. And it wasn't until I was promoting Hired Gun, Ray was nice enough to come do some of the festival screenings with me. And we went to Australia for a week or so. And on that flight, as you know, it's a 16 hour flight to Australia. He's telling me more of his life story. And I knew on that airplane right then what my next film was going to be. Uh, because I felt like people need to know his legacy because it's, it's so deep and rich and just uh, there's just a wake of hits that he's played on. I don't think many people know about. I think very few people do. I mean, it was a real eye opener for I, I mean, I've interviewed you before and I know some of that stuff, but I didn't know all of that stuff. And what I really found uh, very compelling at this particular point in time, Ray, was hearing about. Uh, what happened to you in Detroit when you, I don't even know how old you were when you had that incident uh, with the police. How, how old were you when 15. that happened to you? 15. 15. And can you tell us the story? Because what happened to you back then is a page right out of what's happening right now. Yeah, I mean, I was, I didn't think I looked like a gangster kid, but I was pretty much just a regular teenager living in the neighborhood. And I was right. getting on the bus to go to school, dressed properly. You know, nothing unusual about me. Got my books in my hand. And I'm 15 years old. I happened on the bus to get to school and the police drew their guns. They said, freeze. And I, I thought they were actually talking to somebody else. And then I looked up and all the guns were pointed at me. Scary, scary, scary. Then they dragged me to the alley and started beating on me. They never did say why they arrested me or anything. Wow. That is absolutely crazy. And... Yeah. Was is that was that once? Did you ever face that again? Was was racism well, something that happened? That wasn't the first time. That was probably one of the worst times, but it wasn't the first time. They've been doing that ever since I was 12, 13. They, you know, take the 15 cents out of our pockets, M&Ms out of our pockets, and then drive you like, you know, 20 minutes away from home and make you walk home. Oh, God. And then you were playing at a time when segregation, I mean, but you started so young. I mean, is it true that you started gigging at like 12, 13 with the spinners? You couldn't have done that. 13, yeah, 13 with spinners, yeah. Okay, so how did that happen? How'd you get that gig? Well, you know, it's, you have to actually go back a little bit. And I'll never forget, my dad got tired of me practicing. So he pushed my amplifier on the front porch. And I got my first professional gig. Somebody came by and heard me say, play it in my backyard. I give you like $10. <laughs> and that led to, uh, you know, an audition later with the spinners. And I had to read this chart, Fascinating Rhythm. And if he said, I don't care how old you are, if you can read this chart, you got the gig. 
So I read the chart and I got the gig. So it was pretty, but pretty good. Holy, that, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's absolutely crazy. Okay. So back then, I mean, uh, oh, you and I are pretty much the same age. Uh, did you have to stay in one, like, did you guys get segregated on the road? Like when you were doing, did you do like the Chitlin circuit ever when you were touring no, around? I, I did mostly weekends because I was in school then. So they would take me to play Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night. Then we drive home at the end of Sunday night back, you know, back to Detroit. So all the gigs were close together. We weren't, at that age, I wasn't playing like California or Florida. Right. Or Florida. So, Fran, what compels you about, I mean, for me, I mean, Ghostbusters was the thing, right? We all, who are you going to call that? That's, that's Ray Parker Jr. And it wasn't until I sat down to do the preparation to interview you that I discovered all this stuff, including the fact we talked before we went on the air that 50 years ago yesterday, I was in Madison Square Garden watching you on stage at 18 with little Stevie Wonder opening for the Stones. How the hell did that happen? That was a wonderful day. I'll never forget we ended up playing three or four songs at the end with the stones and it was Mick Jagger's birthday. So we hit him with a bunch of pies. <laughs> it's <was> really funny. <laughs> wow. That's so crazy. And so Fran, did you know about Ray's story? Well, you knew from hired gun. Mm-hmm. Um, did, were you, when you were aware of him just as a fan, did you have any idea his history? No, you know, I was a rock kid growing up. So uh, on rock radio, they would play The Other Woman, you know, and right. had buzz guitar. So I really loved that song a lot. So I was familiar with that. But, you know, the radio days, I knew nothing about. I knew nothing about his back history playing in Motown or in the the, the 70 sessions and uh, writing for people like Shaka Khan, New Edition, you know, Leo Sayer, no clue. And what's even funnier is, you know, when I came up with the idea for the film, I would come down while I was living in the Bay Area at the time, I'd come down with a Zoom recorder and talk to Ray because, you know, he's been doing this so long, he's probably forgotten more than he remembers. <laughs> we just sat there. And I think the first question I ever asked him was, uh, you know, what's your first childhood memory? You know, and Ray, I think he told me put a letter opener through your brother's arm or something. I, I can't yeah. yeah. That didn't make it in the film. No, no, no. <laughs> Thank goodness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, it, it started there. And, you know, you tell me all these wonderful stories. But some of the stuff he, he still forgot to tell me. Like, we're at his house one day in the backyard just hanging out. And somebody's knocking at the door. He's like, hey, can you go get that? I was like, sure. So I go to the door and I open up and it's Bill Weathers. You know, and I'm like hang on a minute. I'm staring at Bill Weathers, you know, and what I know that Ray played on Lovely Day, you know, as a teenager. And, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to hang out with Bill Weathers, I don't know, three or four times. And uh, strongest handshake I've ever had in my life. And just a a wonderful guy, great stories. And uh, something I'll cherish forever. You know, how how did you connect with Bill Weathers, Ray? Well, back in (laughs) Excuse me, back in the studio days when I was a teenager, uh, I worked on a few of his albums. So we became good friends. I used to go over his house all the time and hang out. And he, we always kept in touch. So over the years, as I my career, you know, career started, 
to progress. He'd always call me all the time. And we, we were always talking. In fact, when I got my star on Hollywood Boulevard, first person I called was Bill Withers. And he oh. said, yes, I will come to your ceremony and speak for you. Oh, so he was my first, yeah, very personal. Oh, and, and how did the Barry, how did you meet Barry White? How, I mean, because you were very young when you were. Well, pretty much the same way. Only Barry White I met through Gene Page. And uh, boy, what a wonderful guy. I really miss Barry White and Gene Page. But Barry White was uh, very, very kind. He recorded two of my songs, one on the instrumental orchestra, Love Unlimited Orchestra. And one song I wrote with him and we split it 50-50. And what was unique about the song is he said, nobody writes a song for Barry White. No way, no how. Not only my own writers, I got signed. And he ended up doing a song that I wrote with him, which was probably the only one I could think of that he recorded like that. Wow. That's crazy. How about how about Marvin Gaye? How did that relationship happen? Well, well that happened easily. That's what I was working with Bohannon at the 20 grand. I was only like 15. And uh, Marvin wanted, <laughs> yeah, I know. Marvin wanted the rhythm section to work on his new album. And in that rhythm section was myself, Hamilton Bohannon, Michael Henderson, and Wawa Watson and Leroy Emanuel. I'm coming back to you, friend. I haven't forgot. I'm just like, okay, wait, I, I need a little more. And, and how did you, from what I understand watching the film, Stevie was had a huge impact on, on your career and, and oh, on your trajectory. How, yeah. how did you connect with Stevie Wonder? Well, you know, I heard Marvin Gaye gave him my number, Bohanna gave him my number. And according to Stevie Wonder, he said that everybody he talked to, everybody kept saying, you got to call this young kid Ray. So when he called me, he says, hey, you have the gig already. Just can you go or do you want to go? So it was one of those things I had to talk to my parents about because I was underage <laughs> and I was in school. <laughs> and I had to get my dad to understand what an opportunity this was. And did and, your parents uh, understand, Ray? Did they, did, were they okay the with all this? No, not in the beginning. <laughs> they weren't okay with none of this. You know. My dad wanted me to you know, be a white collar worker and have a retirement plan and a pension and all that good stuff. And working on, you know, work for 50 years in office. I was like, 50 years in the same office? Holy crap. You know, so it was just different generational thing. Oh, God, I'll say. But at what point did they realize okay, this was the right move. Ray did the right thing. This is cool. Oh, maybe 10 years later or something. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you're 18 years old. You're, you're playing with Stevie Wonder, opening for the Rolling Stones in yeah. Madison Square Garden. I mean, was that, did, did that blow your mind? Like, did you just stand there and pinch yourself and go, is this really, or First was it? Which was in Vancouver. I thought that the Rolling Stones were opening for Stevie Wonder. Because <laughs> in my mind, Stevie Wonder had all the hits where we were in Detroit. And so I thought, you know, that was going on. But later I found out, no, it's quite the other way around. Yeah. And uh, but we had a wonderful time. Keith Richards was a really, really nice guy. And he took us to the studio. And every night we played two or three songs with the Stones. You know, he, we'd all come back on stage and do a big grand finale. And it was just a wonderful tour. Wow, I feel so fortunate to have been there. Fran, did or were you were you a fan? I know you're a rocker and you come you were a rock photographer, correct? And, and yeah, rock, yeah, I did tons of stuff for you know Rolling Stone, Hit Parade, or all these magazines. Yeah. So were you were you aware you were aware of this music, but I'm guessing it wasn't your go-to genre. 
it wasn't then. I, I really have a, a strong love and appreciation for it now. And mm-hmm. the musicality is just second to matter of fact, when Ray was all excited because uh you know we're gathering interviews for his movie, he goes, We got to interview Holland Dozier Holland. I don't know who the hell Holland Dozier Holland was. He goes, you don't know who Holland Dozier <laughs> like he was offended. I don't know who they were. And yeah. then when he told me. I was like, oh my gosh, you know, and they came in, man, and they just sang Ray's praise. And I'll never forget Ray had them go into his personal studio and just put their hands on his mixing board so that maybe some of that mojo would, would come off. It was the funniest thing ever. But man, what a what a team of songwriters and the history and legacy of those guys are will will never go away. And they just had incredible stories, you know. And you and you piece them into the film beautifully. Um, and so for the, the this, this new generation that is going to have no idea who they are, they will now. And that's such an important thing. Uh, Ray, we shared a friendship with Allie Willis. I know another Detroiter. Yeah, another and, Detroit girl. Great writer. Great songwriter. Very talented person. And did you know did you know each other back in the Motown days? No, no I didn't know her in Detroit. I met her in California. There. So how, what got you, what got you to California? What got you to LA? My car. Some <laughs> <gas>. <laughs> I, I just stuck in the car and pointed it west and said, I'll call you collect when I reach Sunset Boulevard in the PCH one. And, but, but why, why, why did you make that? Where were you and why did you make that move? Why'd you decide to do LA? Well, I decided to do L.A. I didn't know that the music business was going to be there. And I didn't even know I was going to play music. Ever since I was seven, eight years old, I used to watch uh, Leave it to Beaver and the Beverly Hillbillies. And I truly thought that the stork uh, dropped me off in the wrong location, made a slip, you know. <laughs> I always thought I should have been in L.A. where the sun was shining, the beach boys are playing on the beach and the girls on the beach. I just thought that was my thing, so... At 18 years old, I just turned the key and just drove to California. And what stage of your career were you? Who were you playing with at that time? I just quit playing with Stevie Wonder. Did he encourage you? I, I, there's no, a story no, in the film that he, he too, yeah. He wasn't too happy about me leaving. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, it was, I just wanted to go to California and I thought it was the land of opportunity and I thought I could do a lot of different things, which I was right about. What was it like for you to play with the Temptations and, and Gladys Knight and all these people that I'm sure as you were learning to play were must have been heroes to you? Oh, big time. Yeah, we, that was at the club. The 20 grand is where most of them would play. And I got to play with everybody there every week or two. They change acts and be somebody different. So it was a wonderful experience growing up. Did you never not get a gig? No, I always had a gig. <laughs> yeah, I mean, did you, did you, were you ever up for something that you didn't get? I bet that never happened to you once. Uh, if it did, I can't remember it. But I tell you this, I never had any financial problem playing the guitar ever. And, you know, some people be out of work and they end up being a waiter for a while or something like that. For me, ever since 13 years old, took off. I, I always, somebody was always paying me or hiring me to do something. So I was always just playing music. Did you, and you never had to have a day job. You never. Day job, no. How about you, Fran? Did you, have you had a day job? Oh my God. 
I still have a day job. <laughs> making, movies, <laughs> making movies is one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. But yeah, prior to becoming a, a professional photographer, like I, I, you know. How did you do that, Fran? How'd you go from amateur to professional? I, I didn't even aspire to be a photographer or a filmmaker. I used to take my cameras to concerts just for my own personal memories. And what did you want to be when you grew up? I didn't even know. Mm -hmm. I was just glad to be alive. Where know? are you from? I'm listening to your accent in them. Yeah, originally from Georgia, but I've been living in California now, first in Northern California for about 10 or 11 years. And then Ray convinced me to move to, to Southern California, what, three years ago, I guess. But, uh, you know, I was doing menial job, you know, forklift driving, working in a warehouse, doing whatever. And like yeah. I said, I always take my cameras in the concerts. And back then, you know, on the ticket stub back in the day, there were no cell phones or anything like that. It was like, you know, no cameras allowed. And if they found it, they had ripped your film out and step on it. And right. So I would just get as close as on you <laughs> and, and get the best pictures that I could. And after, after a couple of years, people were telling my friends anyway, were like, man, you got a good eye, you know, but I never thought anything of it until after a couple more years, I started noticing, uh, I was developing into a pretty damn good photographer. The composition was good. The lighting, I was starting to learn how to use the camera properly. And I submitted all my, my photos, you know, like my, my book to all these publishers. I would get rejection letters from all of them. However, <laughs> there was a publisher in New York, uh, Sterling McFadden, who published a magazine called Metal Edge, which mm -hmm. was a hard rock or whatnot. And they screwed up and gave me the editor's home address. So I sent, ah. <laughs> I sent my book to her and she loved the photos and wound up buying a couple from my portfolio and then gave me a gig. You know, I was working quite often uh, and making enough money where I could quit my day job. And then uh, in 2000, I did my first music tour, which opened up way more doors for me. And uh, I brought a, a video camera with me, just, a, uh, just like I did for with the camera to take memories. I brought a Sony Handycam with me. And that intrigued me. I'm like, hang on a minute, moving pictures, you know, now I can really tell a story. Right, right. And uh, that's what kind of started it all. And I caught the bug and uh, never looked back, you know, and I, and I, and I. Did you, did you do a, you did a film with Dolly Parton? Is that true? Yeah, it was kind of a documentary live concert DVD mm -hmm. that we shot in London. And that was thanks to my very first music tour, going back to that. Danny Nozell was actually the tour manager for a heavy metal band called Slipknot. Years later, he calls me up. He's like, hey, man, how would you like to come out with Dolly Parton for a couple of weeks in Europe and direct her DVD? You know, I already know you. I trust you. Da, 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 da. I'm like, wait a minute. You're working with Dolly. You went from Slipknot? <laughs> no, but he wasn't tour managing Dolly. He was managing her worldwide career, and he's still wow. managing her today. Wow. So from that, I did do that. And then uh, consequently, from doing that, you know, she found out I was a photographer. And we had such a great relationship working together. She hired me to shoot a couple of her album covers. Fantastic. And, uh, you know, she does one photo shoot a year. For the people that don't know so anytime you see her on cosmo or women's day or all those photos are taken in one day because she's not she's got a lot of wigs she's got a lot of wigs <laughs> i know those first hands we would spend the entire we'd spend one day shooting the photo the album cover mm -hmm. the next day you know i've seen her do 25 wardrobe changes in six hours you wow know? she's always telling me you know when you got three great pictures let me know i'll go change my wig my clothes my shoes and uh, it's just been a wonderful relationship ever since. 
Yeah. Well, speaking of the wonderful working relationships, so you guys, you two, this mm. is so much more than just a filmmaker and, and an artist, because it seems like every time you hang out, you you are friends. Um, well, you have to I'm, hang out when you're working this close on a project. I mean, we were together just about every day for, for the year and a half, two years. Hey, well, I know but even talk. before that, it was four years ago that I interviewed you and I, I reached you through Fran. Oh, of course, yeah. So you guys have been friends for longer than just the making of who you're going to call, right? Yeah, yeah. Ever since a hired gun, I would say, yeah. yeah and yeah. so how, how challenging was it to, I imagine the film wasn't finished prior to COVID. Uh, how, how did COVID impact this film and the making of this film and the distribution of this film? It did. Well, believe it or not, we were done before COVID. It, yeah. It was funny. We were premiering it the day COVID came out. It stopped Get out it of here. No, yeah. we got stopped right at the gate. Horse coming out the gate. Yeah. Believe it or not, we were, when COVID first was announced, like, oh my God, there's a new virus coming out. Uh, right. Right. Ray and I were in Northern California. We mixed the movie, the, the sound. For people that don't know, you have to sound mix a movie when you're done with it. You just put it out. So we were at Skywalker Ranch where they do all the Star Wars movies and everything. Right. Sure. So we were there when COVID was announced, you know, and I'm like, oh my God, what is this? You know, nobody knew that. It was yeah, what is it? Yeah, nobody knew what would happen. And what was even crazier is all these movies got pushed back. And while we were there, with this red helicopter flies in and out jumps Tom Cruise and Jerry Bruckheimer. They were mixing Top Gun 2 right next to us. And, uh, and we see that movie didn't come out till the same time as ours, basically. It got wow. back. Yeah, but Sony acquired the movie from us. I think, Ray, we signed the deal the day that we did the world premiere in Switzerland, right? Yeah. Well, how long ago was that? A year. Yeah, six months after the virus was introduced. Yeah. So was it challenging to get a distribution to have that happen during COVID? Yeah, no. because nobody knew what the world was going to do. It wasn't just the film business or record business. Nobody knew anything about anything. That, that's true, but I have a mixed feeling about that because... Uh, you know, Sony came, they were the perfect home for this movie, obviously, because of the Ghostbuster franchise right. and catalog. But, uh, you know, Sony, we, we were on Sony's radar for a year and a half before this movie mm -hmm. finished. You know, we interviewed Ivan Reitman there at Sony, and they were very close with us with uh, licensing us footage. If, if you watch the movie, you'll notice that there's clips of Ghostbusters in the film. Oh, yeah. Uh, and of course, we had to go through Sony to get all that stuff and, and license everything. But uh, they were very friendly with us, uh, opened a lot of doors, made things easy. And then when they came with our offer, we just knew it was the right place to go and uh, glad we did. And so is it a help or a hindrance, the fact that there's sort of still a pandemic going on? I, I think people are definitely streaming more than ever before. Mm -hmm. um, is it, a, is it, does that impact your, the financial success of the film because people aren't going to theaters as much? How does that work? No, I don't think this, uh, this movie was ever, you know, you're lucky if you get a documentary into a theatrical setting. Yeah. Uh, I knew that this probably going to be one of them just because it's a documentary it's a music one. Um, but streaming to me is where it's at, you know, it matter, you know, I just had dinner last night with the vice president at HBO 
and they're just doing so much business you know they, they can't turn out enough projects for the streaming and and now we're seeing the theaters are opening back up with the, the giant success of you know talk Top gun, gun yeah dollars and you know the elvis movie was fantastic and every time i go to the movies it's packed so i'm i'm so happy because I, to me i think every film should be in a theater you should watch it there not not on television but uh anytime we watch ray's movie in a theater setting it's just it's 10 times better you know because mm -hmm. we did mix it in skywalker and that is the the premier place to you know the, if you want to get a movie made that's where you you get it mixed and uh, you know your movie's never going to sound that good again once you leave that facility because uh -huh. it's the best in the world but uh you know what we do when we did show in theaters you know it, huge applause and everybody loved it well yeah there's nothing like having an audience reaction yeah. uh and feeling that feeling before i go back to ray france my friend laura wants to know what part of georgia you're from i grew up in maria first i, I was born in spain believe it or not oh then, wow yeah for Aunt francisco but uh, my father got a job at Lockheed Martin. So we lived in Marietta, Georgia for a bunch of years. And then after I got married, had my son, we, we moved to uh, Gwinnett County, which is up in like Northwest, I guess. A uh, little town called Lilburn, Georgia. But I was touring so much around the world with all these bands I used to work for. Anytime we'd hit Northern California, I was just like, man, this is paradise up here. You know, up in Marin County, I lived in San Rafael for a bunch of years that up, uprooted everything and moved out there and uh, stayed there for quite a while. Well, uh, you've done damn well for, for a Georgia boy, uh, yeah. doing quite well for yourself. Are, are your parents proud of you? Well, my dad's no longer with us, but he was That's extremely fine. proud. He did get to see Hired Gun prior to his death and was just blown away. Just couldn't believe that. And my mom, she doesn't really... I don't think she knows what I do. I, t I tell her what I do. <laughs> she doesn't understand what a director producer is. So she just sees my name on the credit and she gets excited. But I'm like, mom, do you know how much work goes into this? You know, speaking of moms wanting to see your, their son's name. So, Ray, there's a great story about why you decided to go solo, why you decided to become a solo artist after being a hi hired gun. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, because it, no matter what I did, I couldn't get the attention of my mother. I mean, <laughs> my name was always written so small. You know, when you get a credit for playing the guitar, it's really small. And my parents are much older than me, and my mother needed a magnifying glass. <laughs> I, I found a little bit insulting. You know, she said, go get the magnifying glass. I'm like, really? Is my name oh. so important and so little that she needs a magnifying glass to even see when I wrote a song? And then they wouldn't, you know, for songwriter, they wouldn't give you your whole name. They give you R. Dot Parker. That's sort of embarrassing. It's like, oh, yeah. so I was really motivated to make my own record, put my picture on the front, so my mother could just plain old simply understand what it is I was doing. And so, how did that start for you, Ray? How did you go from a hired gun to? to it started from radio. Started the band radio and put out Jack and Jill. That had my picture on it, my name everywhere. And in big letters, so my mother told this is my son's band, so it was just easier to do. A story that you didn't tell in the film that I would love to know, understand what happened. So I know you wrote, uh, you make me feel like dancing, but why didn't you get credit for this number one hit for Leo Sayer? Why didn't that's, that's you get credit? A, that's a good question. I don't have the answer to that. I wish I could ask the producer. Come on, really? He, yeah, I have no idea why he did Did you get that. paid for it? No, I did not get paid and I did not get any credit. 
And what's, what was bad about it, it wasn't like I was worrying about it or thinking about it. He promised to me he was going to give me my share of the song. And he made all these promises and he did not live up to it. Is this the producer or, or Leo? This is the producer. Leo is a wonderful guy. In fact, me and him may go on tour and play together. He's a great isn't, guy. I'm isn't that wonderful? Yeah. And yeah. so does he acknowledge that, that it was your song? Well, his name is on there too because he wrote some of the lyrics. So I don't expect him to acknowledge it because that would be against his own company. I see. Plus, well, he nice. doesn't need to acknowledge it. Me and him know what's up. We're good. Well, that that says a lot about you, Ray, that, yeah. that you can let that go and just kind of move on. Because that was huge. Number one hit. That's big, oh, yeah, big. it was. Won the song of the year, Grammy. Jeez. So how how does it feel to be up for an award opposite Stevie Wonder, which happened to you a couple of times. What What is that like when, when, when well, you it's know. not good. That's never good. <laughs> so you won one. <laughs> you won story. one of those, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. But a uh, good thing I didn't win the American Oscar. But that's never good. You know, Stevie Wonder is the king. And, uh, you know, if you if you disrupt what goes on with the king, it could be off with your head. You know? <laughs> so oh, yeah. so how how has what have you been doing during the the pandemic ray how have you kept you're such a prolific songwriter producer have, did you stay busy during the pandemic what'd you do oh, yeah i'm almost done with this record all i gotta do is sing two and a half songs i don't know why it's taking me so long to sing those because i'm so busy doing other stuff but once I get that done, I'll have like 12 or 13 songs for a new record. Fantastic. What else do you do? What else is keeping you busy? Oh, I play tennis and I'm just goofing off having a good time. I just came from Europe, uh, went to some tennis matches over there and saw Casper Rude beat up on Bertini. You know, so it was just I had a great time just having fun. And are, were you able to do that easily to... Did the pandemic give you an opportunity to kind of have more leisure time? No, the pandemic actually shut down the world. So it was harder to travel. And I was not happy wearing a mask on the airplane and taking tests all the time. In <laughs> fact, for most of the TV shows I do now, recording studios, we still have to take a test every morning, you know. Right, of course. So it's just a, it's a bummer. When did you, you get, did you get the virus? Oh, yeah, I got the virus over New Year's, but I never knew I had it. Really? Yeah, I only took the test because some of the kids got it up here. And uh, so my wife said, well, we should take the test. So we took the test. And believe it or not, I actually tested positive. I, I never felt anything. I felt fine, you know. And out of the 14 or 15 people up here, the only people who didn't get it were my three sons who never took the vaccine. Wow. Wow. <laughs> And do your boys, when I was there last time, you have a recording studio in your home and one of your sons was recording, a couple of your sons are musicians, is that so? Yeah. Yes. Both younger ones are musicians and uh, Gibson just DJed the EDS show in Vegas, which is a big deal. They had hundreds of thousands of people. So he was excited, you know, so they're moving along. And you've been married, okay, so I'm doing the math. I'm thinking it's about 28 years. Is that 28 right? years is correct, and 32 total. Wow. That's what a that's long a, time. 
I thought I was a playboy before, but I, I can't even remember it. It's been so long. <laughs> you told this crazy story mm. the last time I saw you, and these, it'll be new to these people. But when you got tickets, you got you got tickets to that Stones concert. Do you know what story I'm talking about? And a girl <laughs> wanted those tickets, and then she wanted to she she brought another girl, and you had to get another oh, yeah. ticket. Yeah, that's a. That's the very beginning of the Stones tour. I remember that. She said, I'll do anything if you give me a ticket. I didn't quite know what she meant until later. But I'm a fast. <laughs> I got it pretty quick. <laughs> it, so it has it been challenging, Ray, to have all the success and be a musician and to have a, a wife and a family? Because you're a real family man. Oh, yeah. No, I don't think it's challenging. I just, all my life, I've pretty much done what I enjoyed and what I wanted to do. Uh, I don't remember ever trying not to do something. Like people say, well, how did you not get into drugs? Or how did you not do this? I didn't, I never really tried not to do anything. I just did what I felt was the right thing to do. Okay, let's talk about that a minute because I'm in recovery. You never walked that road, did you? No, I never did the alcohol road. I never did the drugs or cocaine road. You know, even though those, things were available to me all the time mm -hmm. and they were around I just didn't turn me on wow it's impressive and you must have had your 10,000 hours I'm thinking before you hit 20 um like way before you hit 20 Wait, well, I bet anything did... I had 10,000 hours before by 13 I had 10, <laughs> so sure. so how did how did that start for you Ray what how did the passion for guitar happen for you well, my brother had a guitar and I was playing the saxophone for four or five years. Seemed like a lifetime back then, but it was half my life. And I was just fascinated with the guitar. So I traded him a $800 saxophone for his $40 guitar. Wow. I just loved playing the guitar. And so I practiced all day, every day. And then I broke my leg, which added to the practice time. And that's why I'm sure I got the 10,000 hours before age 13. Mm -hmm. And and but you read you learn to read you you study did you study in school did you study outside well, I, of school I all of the reading and technical stuff on the clarinet and the teacher in elementary school Alfred T Kirby he was a great teacher I uh, I had to play the clarinet in school orchestra because all the flutes were taken and they put me on a clarinet <laughs> that's how i got the clarinet yep all the flutes were taken i was trying to get the lightest instrument to take home <laughs> can you still play the clarinet no i don't even know where my fingers go it's been so long so okay so you're playing the guitar and you're getting real gigs you finished school though you finished high school sort of sort of yeah my grade point average is like 1.8 so i wouldn't brag about it <laughs> but you got but you got through it uh yeah but so. you're you're a very savvy from what i recall you like math you're, you're a very savvy businessman do, yeah. do you was that like an innate thing it, where did that come from yeah i think it's an innate thing my dad was pretty savvy uh, it's not a reflection of me going to class because I didn't go to class. So that's probably why that end of it came out so poorly. And my parents were a little disgusted thinking my brother was going to be the smarter one because my grades were so poor. But 
I just didn't want to go learn the same thing. You know, every year they teach us the same math book, the same books. So I just thought we're wasting time. Jesus. And can you talk about, I know that you had a, a very important relationship with Clive Davis and stuff. Who, who were your mentors, Ray, and, and the people that opened doors for you? Well, there's Stevie Wonder, Bohannon, Gene Page, Barry White. Um, Gene Page would be a really big one. And uh, one would be Michael Henderson. We just passed three weeks ago. And is so this just, something that you do? Do you pay it forward now that you're in a, have you paid it forward through your life and mentored other younger musicians? Uh, yeah. I don't know how many of them listened to anything I got to say, especially my own kids, but you know, <laughs> kind of a different world we live in now. It's, it, it's, yeah. Yeah. Um, before we get to Ghostbusters, so Fran, how about you? I mean, you've created this success for yourself and kind of are self-made as well. Do you take interns on? Do you mentor and help up-and-coming filmmakers? There's so many people that reach out and want to know how you get things done. And I always tell them the same thing. I'm like, you know, let me teach you what not to do instead mm. of what to do. Because I made, you know, during Hired Gun, I did, you know, I had made documentaries for record companies, right? I couldn't license music or anything like that. So it was all just given to me. When I made Hired Gun, I had no, I just jumped out of the airplane without a parachute, was given a bunch of money to make this movie. Who gave you the money? How'd you get the funding for it? Yeah. So, you know, when you're in a position like I was then, you kind of had to self-fund a little bit at first. In Korea, it was called a sizzle reel, which is kind of like a trailer of what the show's mm -hmm. going to look like. So I did do that. <clears throat> and I had a really good friend who's in the wool business, Todd Poulsen. We're still dear. He's one of my best friends. And Ray's met him a bunch of times. He's just a really good person. And he financed it, you know. And wow. uh, I was like, I don't want this to ruin our friendship. He goes, man, I'm so rich. You know, not bragging, but he's just like, if I lose the million dollar, it's not going to hurt me. And I'm going to get to meet Alice Cooper and all these people. So it was a wonderful journey for him. And it entitled me to get the, the movie made. And, uh, you know, my, my one thing I did tell myself is it's got to be a world class film. It's got to look great. sound. we also mix that at Skywalker as well. And uh, and it did really well as a, you know, critically successful. Fans loved it. Press loved it. And it got me to where I am today. You know, and what's funny is when I talked about doing Ray Parker Jr.'s movie next, a lot of the pe people were like, you're going to do a movie on the Ghostbuster guy. And I had the exact reaction that David Foster had. I was I was kind of offended. I was like, wait a minute. You just don't know, <laughs> you know, let me make the movie. Then you watch it. And then you come back to me and tell me what you think. And across the board, everybody's just floored. They, they just can't believe what they're watching. And has it changed? I imagine it's changed people's perception of you, Ray, and you're finally getting your oh, sort of oh, due respect. Time. Yeah, big time. Um, a lot of people have seen it because it's out now and it's all over the place. And it's really enhanced my entire career and the, the way people think about me. So it's wonderful. And I've said it before and I'll give it again. This is, I give 100% of that to Fran. He came up with the concept and how to make it look like that and make it do that. And, uh, you know, I talked to a lot of people that have seen a lot of documentaries and a lot of people, they, they think mine is one of the better ones. It's, it's excellent. Yeah. I've watched a lot of music documentaries, especially yeah. it's a wonderful film. 
Thank really you. kudos to both of you. Um, it, what so, came out nice about it is even if you're not a musician, you mm -hmm. can understand the story and it still turns out to be a great picture and a great story. So absolutely. It's a very human story. And also the, the whole, your whole upbringing and all of that. Uh, and also the elements to your life that I didn't know about before. And it's even Ghostbusters. I mean, I don't want to give away too much of the film, but yeah. I want you to tell us a little bit about uh, how could we not talk about Ghostbusters when we talk about you? And from what I understand, you don't get sick and tired of talking about Ghostbusters. Oh, absolutely Is that true? Not. It's Wonderful. <laughs> talk more about Ghostbusters. I wish Let's talk more about. about so it's kind of crazy um, how that came to you because it was very last minute, right? Yes. It was just one of those songs. Uh, well, first of all, it wasn't a song. They only wanted 20 seconds over the film. And I was just going to write sort of like a little small jingle or something to put over the library scene. And the director, Ivan Reitman, heard it. And he really, really liked it. And it turned into, can you make it longer? Can you get some more lyrics? Can you put some more stuff on it? And it just Can kept you show us how it started? Right? What was the first thing you came up with, the first part of well, it? The first part was the music, because he told me what he wanted, pretty much. You know, he hummed to me. Uh, it was like a blues kind of thing. They, you know that we played in bar bands as a kid, doom, 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 doom. And everybody does that in every band. And so that wasn't the hard part. The hard part was when he said, I want the words Ghostbusters in the music. And I was like, holy crap, no wonder it's so difficult and nobody's been able to do it because- Wasn't it, was it true that he had reached out to a ton of people to try oh, and yeah, get yeah, them yeah, to- Yeah, people he had reached out to. And uh, the, the, the concept of this song, that I think most of the songwriters were missing is it had to be a military song because the Ghostbuster characters are like military characters. So the music needed to be stiff and it needed to be like drum cadence, don't the sound off one, two, sound off three. And so oh. the Ghostbusters chant is really like a sound off. Who are you gonna call? One, two, who are you gonna call? Ghostbusters. I ain't afraid wow. of it. So it's a chant. So if you listen to the drums and the bass and the guitar, the straighter you play it, or the stiffer you play it and make it more like a military marching band, the better the song becomes. Wow. And, I, you know, I, 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 I'm hesitant to ask you to tell the story because it's, it's a big part of the movie, but there's so much to the film. There's so much more than this. But you were under the wire. You had a very short time to write this song. Is that true? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was only a few days. And uh, my they offered me 50 grand to sit and think about it and if i didn't come up with anything then my money went bye-bye so that means you got to turn in something <laughs> and how did the idea come to you to do that that how how did you get ghostbusters in there well there was a part of the film where the guys are standing uh over above the phone number <clears throat> and they got their backpacks and they're in uniforms and to me they look like the rotor rooter guys or the bug commercial guys you know and so i said that's it you got to say who you're going to call it just like a real a bug repair man or a plumbing repair man or something like that. And that's the way it looked to me on the film. And that was the biggest thing that ever happened was that idea that one little idea turned into everything. Wow. Wow. Um, I imagine it was a total life changer for you. Uh, yeah, I would say total life, but yes, it's a big change. Now I had no idea the song was going to do that that well. 
And also you're starring in the video and you're and you're with Bill, you're, yeah. you're with the guys here. It took my visibility to a whole new level. Uh, you know, it's funny is most people say, oh, when your life changed, they're talking about money, right? But you know, I had had so many hit records before and I saved a bunch of my money that when Ghostbusters came along, I didn't really buy anything new or do anything different. You know? Right, but it was the recognition factor. It was, you, you, were on, you were on every billboard. Uh, yes. You were every, MTV was, was playing Ghostbusters every other second, it seemed. Exactly. So my name was on everybody's lips. And and also it's multi-generational, cross-generational. I mean, my mother knows who you are. My kids know who you are. Everybody exactly. knows who Ray Parker yeah. Jr. is. And that doesn't happen all the time. No. That's a pretty unique thing. So, so now that the film is out, are you getting to go around? Are, are you... Are you taking it out? Are you are you doing screenings? Is 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 that? Have you already done that? What, where are you at now? We, are, we did a we did a couple of showings, but you know Sony they haven't had me do anything, so I guess they're doing whatever they're doing without me, which is fine. I'm good and lazy, so I can stay home and we'll play slot machines in the casino. I'm a good. You're hey, not lazy. We we did our world premiere in Zurich, Switzerland, in the height of the pandemic. I'll never forget Ray and I going to the airport. We had to get, wait, I guess the consulate in Switzerland gave us special permission to come out there. Like it was, right. nobody's going there. Ray and I were in business class by ourselves in this plane that held 300 people. And there may have been six people in the back of the airplane. And I don't know if we were going to lay over in, in Chicago. Yeah. It was empty. Remember that? There was no oh, yeah, yeah, not a restaurant open, nothing. The whole airport yeah. like was closed. Yeah. And then on the way home, was anybody at the premiere? Packed, sold out. Oh, oh. Yeah. yeah, no masks. Like it was, Switzerland was wide open for whatever reason. But yeah. uh, I mean, we got a standing ovation. Everybody loved it. And then- uh, Wait, when was this? When was the premiere? Year before last, right, Ray? And, uh, yeah, right. So, like September, year before last. Yep. And then uh, on the way home, Ray stayed. I came home a little early. I was the only person on the airplane. The entire <laughs> airplane. Come on. They didn't fly a plane just for you. There was nobody on this airplane. We flew into, I'll never forget, we flew to Calgary. I was the only person on the plane. Then Calgary back to LAX, there was just a handful of people. Wow. I was the only soul on that airplane besides the, the wait staff. Wow. But Have you gotten COVID, Fran? I did. Yeah. So I, I started working on a new project. With the executive producer of Shit's Creek, kind of happened at a worst time. We had all the interviews lined up and everything else, and I felt this feeling in my throat I'd never felt before in my life. Like, what is this? You know. And I took a test, came back positive, and I was out. I mean, for two days I couldn't move. I was so sick, and I'm all vaxxed up and boosted. How but long ago was this? This was in uh, the end of January. So I had oh, so you had the Omicron fun thing. Yeah. Yeah, it was bad. And then, uh, you know, chills, fever, body aches, just cough for six weeks. And then we finally got to film, you know, our show. Uh, <coughs> yeah, so it, it took a minute. Yeah. So, so Ray, you, you talked a while ago about wanting to have your own TV show. Is that still something you'd like to do? Yeah, as long as it don't take too much time. I mean, I now live in um, Nevada, 
So I don't know. It'd be nice if I could film it up here. But I don't know. I'd like to have like a talk show or something like that. That seems like a lot of fun to me. You you know, you can do all you need. You have the equipment. You can do everything you need to do. You know that. You can just yeah. make that happen. Yeah. So what, what, okay, so right now you're working on, you have a new album coming out. When might that drop? Well, first of all, that's going to drop whenever I finish it. <laughs> I like that attitude. Yeah, you can afford I, that true. attitude. Yeah, and whenever I finish it, so I better get on the case and finish it. You know, um, I don't think I'm going to do any more 100 city tours or anything like that. I'm just too tired to do that. Do you still yeah, enjoy playing? Do you still want to play live? Is that something that interests yes, you? I, I still want to play live, but it had to be on a more limited basis, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, like in the old days when I was in my twenties, you know, we just played every day. Let's go get on the bus and just get on the plane and keep playing. I don't think I can do that anymore. Yeah. So what, what is the, is the dream at this point? Like if you had your druthers, what, what would the next few years look like? What would you love to do? How would you like well, to I'd like them? Them name a street in Detroit after me? Woohoo. Yes. I'm, I'm down for that. Uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame would be nice if they put me in there. Sweet. Uh, what else could happen? How was uh, it getting the, the star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame? I imagine that that's was the biggest. Th that's the biggest thing ever happened in my life. Oh. At least to me, that was the most important thing because first place I came was to Hollywood and walk up and down Hollywood Boulevard and look at all the stars. And everybody always said, if you're going to be a star, you need a Hollywood star to be a star because they created the word star. And so I thought that was very important. Um, but other than that, shoot, just let me be healthy and keep doing what I'm doing and I'll be happy. Do you, do you still play every, do you play every day? Is, is there always, a, there was a guitar in your hand the whole time I saw you. Is there yeah. there yeah, is, and I'm waiting for you to noodle something on it. Well, I've been noodling. I've been keeping it quiet. <laughs> Don't keep it quiet. I'm we so want to hear it. You know, just the sound of the guitar sounds good to me. such a sensitive instrument it could be funky it could be romantic and do all of the above it can get the job done i i seem to recall you saying that you could write a song on the spot and kind of get have your way with with the women because you could just kind of write a song on the spot and stick their name yeah. in it and the last time you wrote one and for me put their name in the song and there you have it <laughs> You, and I don't know if it's this album or a prior album where you did some acoustic. Is it this one that where you have some acoustic? Well, the, the last one had more acoustic on it, but uh, I used both guitars. So both guitars would be on both albums. Yeah. Do you have, of all the guitars that you own, and I know you have quite a collection, do you have a yes. favorite? Um, no. I like all my guitars. Uh, Probably if I had a favorite, it'd be some of the gifts that I got when I was younger. I don't want to lose those. You know? And that's not that I play them all the time. It's just that they hold special meaning and value. How about you, Fran? What's what's next on your agenda? Oh, God, I'm busy, you know. I'm sure. Uh, yeah, so uh, I have a docu-series that we're in development with called First Call. Um it's about the first call musicians that are up on the upper echelon, you know, guys that play with Lady Gaga, The Weeknd, Rihanna, and uh, the stories are just as fascinating as Ray's or even some of the people in Higher Gun. It's just, you can't believe what you're hearing. 
you know, mm -hmm. and uh, what it takes to get to that level uh, is not easy. And then, uh, you know, I have another document that was brought to me called In the Reeds, which is about the history of the harmonica and how the harmonica essentially birthed the blues and how the blues really birthed all music, modern day music we hear today is really fascinating. And I think we're going to probably be wrapped up, you know, probably October with editing. So we're currently editing that. And then there's a wine show uh, documentary I'm doing called Message in a Bottle. And it's about these these heritage families like, you know, the Mandavi family, you know, the Hirsch family. Uh, Joel Morgan, uh, Joel Peterson, rather, you know, the godfather of Zinfandel and what goes into a bottle making that wine. So it's not about tasting notes or what pairs with. It's more about the lineage of what actually goes into making that bottle of wine. And that's mm. which is really interesting. So, Ray, are you becoming like a producer? Are you involved with Fran on these other films? No, I don't want to be a producer. Let Fran <laughs> do all the work. I don't want to work. <laughs> hey, I'll repeat myself at the risk of being crude. I don't want to work too hard. You know yeah, what? I think that's really great because you've worked very hard for a very long time. And I think yes. it's wonderful that you can relax now and enjoy your life. Well, I think that Ray saw the what it takes to get a, a movie made. You know, it's not as easy as just going out filming interviews, you know, because once you have, you know, 120 hours of interviews, now you got to make a story out of it, you know, yeah. and then all the complexities that go along with it, you know, you think licensing, giving permission. Yeah. 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 Fran's right. I, heard, I, I learned what it takes to do like a documentary. I know I don't want to do that. That's not no fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's hey, fun. That's his idea of fun because yeah, that right. documentary, that's like him playing the guitar. But for me, that's not my idea of fun. Right. So, so Ray, this new album that you're working on and whenever it happens, it happens. Are you doing it? Your, are you home? Are you producing it in your studio or is it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Because then I could be creative. I could do it in the middle of the night. And I have a smaller studio at home now than the bigger studios in L.A. So I can go back and forth between the two and get anything I want done. They talk to each other, your two studios, I assume? No, not really. Mm -hmm. I just take the tape down there or the, there's no more tape. Take the disc drive down. And all the musicians are in L.A. So I don't want to build a studio like the one I have there up here because there's just nobody to come over and play. But everything's working quite great. And so you use other musicians. It's not all engineered music. Yeah, yeah, no. I use other musicians. And most all of that's recorded down south. Well, I'm uh, very grateful that you took the time. I know you were out on the lake. And yeah. Fran had to drag you back in here. And I know <laughs> Fran has a dinner to go to that I was actually supposed to go to tonight. So um yeah. I really appreciate the time and I just love, love, love who you're going to call. Congratulations Thank to you. both of you. It's Thank a you. wonderful film Thank and you. it's not only um, informative, but so entertaining. Um, mm. It was just, just so much fun to watch. And I did learn a lot. I learned a lot about you and I learned a lot about the time and the music. Mm. Really, really grateful. So have uh, a wonderful rest of your day. And thanks so much for sharing this time with us. And thank you for calling on me. Okay, there you go. Take care. Thanks bye for bye having us. Have a good pleasure. You too. Thanks so much for all your support. Bye-bye.